this message today. Uh, there's, you know, we could just jump in and start going for it, but uh, this message is on uh, Romans. Thank you, Jojo. And it's called Exposed, the shocking truth of the gospel. And it's going to be shocking to you, I think, in some manner, some degree, maybe even today will be. I'm going to try to, to, to lessen some of the surprise today with this introduction. But the book of Romans is Paul's great exposition on doctrine and theology. It is his life's message, if you will, contained in the book of Romans. And he's going to share some things uh, that, that are going to be liberating and empowering. And in fact, he's going to emphasize some things uh, that we're going to start emphasizing along this study. Um, Paul wrote 13 books, 13 epistles. You know, uh, some people think maybe he wrote Hebrews, some not, just based on the structure of the writing and so forth. He didn't uh, begin that book like he did the rest. I'll show you that in a minute. But, um, but in the spirit of full disclosure, I just want to tell you that what we'll be emphasizing in this uh, exegetical study, if you will, of the book of Romans, which just means we're going to be breaking it down a little bit, is grace. We're going to emphasize grace because grace is the emphasis of the New Testament. Grace is the most emphasized thing in the New Testament. In fact, the word grace is used in the New Testament 128 times. Um, Paul uses the word grace 94 of those times. And in the book of Romans, more than any other book, he uses that word 27 times. And so Paul emphasized grace, and therefore we're going to emphasize grace. And again, what we started doing several years ago is just filtering everything down through the finished work of Jesus. So looking at everything from the perspective of the finished work. Um, so let me just share with you a couple of things here as we get started today. Uh, you'll see on the slide now, um, in Romans, in First and Second Corinthians, in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Philippians, and in Philemon... He starts every one of those books the exact same way. He says this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of those books begins the very same way. Um, in 2 Thessalonians, he begins that book by saying grace to you and peace from God, uh, from God the Father. Wait a minute. Yeah, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So just a, a slight difference. Uh, or is that the same? Is that the same? Grace to you and peace from God the Father. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So that's the difference. Just a slight nuance change there. Then you go on down to Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Well, let's just look at Colossians here since it's on a separate slide. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now let's go to the next slide. 1 Thessalonians says grace to you and peace. First and 2 Timothy, the same way, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then lastly, Titus, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now, you can separate these three here, heaven, on a different one because these are now the conclusions. 
So those are all, that's 13 beginnings. All 13 of them begin with this idea of grace, okay? The unmerited favor of God. The finished work of Jesus, if I could say it that way. Him doing it and declaring forever over you. That's how he started every single letter. How many of you know how something starts is going to tell you how it's going to progress? So he's setting context. He's setting direction. He's setting emphasis, if you will, okay? Um, So now the way they end, I'm not going to go through all 13. Uh, They all do end with grace as well. But here's just four. Uh, because the Bible says, let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And I'm going to give you four just because I'm feeling good because it's Super Bowl Sunday. But Romans says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. First Corinthians says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Second Corinthians says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then Colossians simply says, grace be with you. And again, we could go through, you know, the other nine if, you, if you'd like, but we don't have time for that. So here we see Paul is emphasizing grace in every beginning and every ending. Now, in Romans, you'll see that he doesn't get around to that phrase, uh, grace be to you, until verse 7, but it's still in the introduction, if you will. So a lot of times in church environment... And I love what Lawrence said the other day, because he was, if you understand what was happening on Wednesday night and Thursday day, he was running this track. You know, he said, Jesus isn't the way to peace. He isn't the way or the path to peace. He is peace. Jesus isn't the way to fulfillment. This isn't live your life and sprinkle in a little Jesus. This is Jesus is fulfillment, period. He is. God is. He that comes to God must believe that he is. Hebrews eleven six. Not was or will be, even though he was and will be. But he that comes to God must believe, must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So obedience has its place. But when you start talking like this in church, a lot of people will, will sort of find themselves drawing back and say, well, you know, you need to balance grace. Well, what would you balance grace with? Non-grace? Balance grace with a little condemnation? A little guilt? A little personal responsibility maybe? Hey, how about, how about accountability? I hear that one a lot. Well, there's no accountability in grace. Really? Because I'm in a, in a relationship with my wife where she loves me unconditionally, even though I'm a Raider fan. And I assure you there's accountability in that relationship. But what you hear most is obedience. And when I was trying to connect all the dots some years ago, I was trying to find that ingredient that was my part of grace. You know what I mean? We've all done that. What what is it? What is that secret thing? And and it came to me, and I I said, yes, it's obedience. And, And I talked to one of my mentors uh, one day we were, we were having a meeting on something else and I, and I pulled him to the side and I said, hey, listen, I figured it out. I said, I said that word. I figured it out. It's obedience. And he says, really? It's obedience, huh? He says, it's not obedience because you can't be that obedient. Not consistently. Yeah. 
right? We can, have, we, can, we can do pretty good on Sunday morning, can't we? Until we have to wait too long getting the chicken fried steak after church or somebody pulls, you know, cuts us off on the freeway, we do pretty good. But every other day is kind of up for grabs at times. He says, it is obedience, but it's his obedience, not yours. See, what we have to do is flush all the garbage from our thinking and realize that in him, we live and move and have our being. In him is how we qualify. Not within us, but in him. And here's the beauty. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved forever. Man, that's powerful. Think of this. In, um, in the books of First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, in those three epistles, Paul uses the word grace the, the second highest number of times to Romans, which is 27, 26 times in those three books. Now think about what's happening in the church at Corinth and the church at Galatia. In the church at Corinth, they were into all kinds of immorality, gross immorality, even for today's standards. And how many of you know, like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And then in Galatians, they were believers who were in danger of yoking themselves back up underneath the law, where Paul even said, if we or any, even an angel from heaven preach anything other than what we're telling you about the grace of God, let that person or that angel be accursed. You would think that would have been a great time for him to open up his little bag of tricks and teach a camp meeting series for a week or two on obedience. But that's not what he preached. He preached more grace. More grace in those three books than any other work except for the book of Romans. What I'm trying to tell you is there is an emphasis in the New Testament And that emphasis is the finished work of Jesus. And the only path to obedience is to rest in grace. That's how you get there. Again, obedience isn't the thing that causes spiritual maturity. Because that's what we always thought. If I get up early, if I stay up late, if I do all my devotionals, if I write in my journal, if I pray for everybody that I can think of that I've ever met if I pray for all the people that I don't know, if I pray in tongues for an hour every day, uh, if I do this, that, and the other, then that means I can show somebody that I'm becoming spiritually mature. And whether you know it or not, that's how you used to think. Because that's how we all used to think. And now it's different because we recognize that Obedience is a fruit of spiritual maturity. It is a result of spiritual maturity. It's not what gets you there. So it's never your effort that gets you where you need to be. It's always God's finished work that positions you, and then you just jump in and play in the deep end. Isn't that wonderful? Um, I have this new preacher friend that I met not too long ago, and... and, uh, He's all excited. He's like, man, I want to I sit with you and I want to learn and this and that. You know, and their church is, you know, probably just a, uh, numerically just a bit smaller than ours. They're down in another city near the beach. And, and uh, 
He's like, man, I want to know how you assimilate people. How, what do you do for discipleship? What's your strategy? What's your curriculum? And, and I just said, frankly, I have to tell you, everything we used to do is a bunch of crap. <laughs> Can I be real? I'm wearing a Raider jersey. I might as well, right? <laughs> Yesterday, I sat with six men that I'm discipling. And went around the table. I just said, hey, t- tell everybody, because it's been a month or two since we've gotten to sit down all together. So t- bring us up to speed. Every single one of them, to a man, said, my marriage has never been better. Every one of them, to a man, said that not only them, but their family is engaging in ministry like never before. They're more excited, more challenged, and more fulfilled in that area of their life. And every one of them, is mentoring their children to a man. And you know what? We're not going through a curriculum. It's all relational. And that's how Jesus did it. I I like reading books. I'm a voracious reader. I'm a Kindle fanatic. I love reading. But nobody has ever been discipled because they read a book. Or finished a course. Yeah, right. Now the information's not bad, and I'm not saying that we throw out the baby with the bathwater. I do believe we need to have, yes. you know, a new believer class and just get people to the to the rudimentary level of understanding. And, and it's all going to be what I'm telling you today. Yeah. But as far as discipleship and, and and getting to where we need to be, man, I, and I wrote them later and I said, I, I I can't tell you how honored I am to hear all of that because it's all relationship. And to see that all the important things are happening in their lives, not because they're doing anything, but they're just resting in who they are. And then guess what? Once you do that, you will do more than ever before. So I'm not saying that, see, a person that thinks it's all about their effort, they've missed the understanding of what grace truly is. But then the person that thinks, man, God did it all. I don't have to do anything. That person has also missed what this is. Because what you'll find yourself doing is is engaging in every area of your life, you, things won't happen to you. Like Lawrence said the other day, you'll be happening to the things in your life. I happen to my marriage. I happen to the relationship with my kids. I happen to the relationship with my grandson. I happen to the things around me. I'm not sitting back letting the devil decide or letting the circumstance decide. I'm stepping into every area of my life because I can, because God promised me I can't fail. That's a powerful thing. If I rest in him. So, with all that being said, you you see the emphasis, so let's go to Romans. This is called exposed, the shocking truth of the gospel. So Romans 1, verse 1 today for an introduction is where we'll begin. And we'll talk about it and then I've got some other things to share with you. But it says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God or the good news of God. The good news of God is that he said forever over you. The good news is Jesus said, you are in my father's hand and nobody can pluck you out. See, we forget that sometimes, don't we? We put all these conditions and we forget. See, you can never let an obscure verse of scripture rob you from the truth of a a clear verse. The clear verse says you're in his hand. You're You're never leaving there. He has you. He's got you covered. So bondservant in the, um, in the Greek there is doulos, 
which means, and this is sort of my amplified version, is to submit voluntarily to the will of another. To submit voluntarily to the will of another. You'll see it uh, in Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6, if you, you know, you can look at it later. But under the Mosaic law, what that it um, allowed for would be an indentured servant. Let's say somebody that had to go and pay off a debt or whatever. Remember that we talked a couple of weeks ago about the, the widow who, who, whose husband died and the creditors were going to come and take her sons into, into slavery or whatever to pay that off. That's what that was all about. But the Mosaic law allowed for a person who was in servitude once his servitude ended to volunteer to stay for the rest of his life. And so the way the verse says is that if a person comes in to servitude without a wife and he gets married to a wife while he's there and has kids, then when his servitude is over, he can leave, but the master keeps the wives and the kids. And so that was a lot of leverage there, you might say. Uh, But it was a voluntary thing. So let's say that that a person decided, man, this guy takes care of me. I got good benefits. I got medical and dental and all of that. And this is somewhere where I feel like I'm making a difference. So he says, you know, I don't want to leave. So they would take him over to the doorpost of the house and drive in a, a piece of metal through his earlobe. And that would signify that he is now a bond servant. So in other words, he is a, 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 a volunteer. And it's amazing to me that grace freed us from being in bondage to sin so that we could volunteer to be a slave, a bond servant. You know, I volunteered to be a Marine a long time ago. And, and, and essentially, I can't tell you how many times people in my life that loved me would tell me when I would complain, well, you know, you signed up for this. So I signed up to lose my freedom so I could protect everybody else's. Is that right? Because you think it's up to you. But nothing is. Put your top three choices of your next duty station here. They do that just so you feel like you're part of the process and they give you one that's not even on the list. And, and the explanation is the needs of the Marine Corps. Trump your desire to be in Hawaii or be in Guam or be, you know, wherever else you want to be. And so... It's the same thing, see? We volunteer now ourselves over to the cause of Christ. And in a sense, we become those bondservants like Paul, but it's, a, it, it, it's, it's out of admiration. It's out of, uh, it's out of appreciation, you might say. It's out of gratitude that a bondservant comes to be. And so this is who he is. He's announcing who he is. He's a bondservant. In other words, he's not after his own agenda. You know, that's one thing that came up in our meetings uh, over these past several days when Pastor Lawrence was, was visiting us is that when you have a table full of people and everybody's got great ideas, nobody's worried about whether their idea is the top idea or not because we're all there for one purpose, and that is to elevate the things of God in the kingdom. It's not about us individually. So that's a wonderful thing, and that's really what Paul's trying to get around here is that his life now is not about his own desire but about living fully for the Lord and allowing his life to be used to impact others. That's all a bondservant is. Uh, The next word is apostle. He's called to be an apostle. And an apostle is one sent with orders. An apostle is simply a sent one. In fact, Jesus said in John 6, 29, that the only work of the New Testament is to believe that he is the one sent of the Father. So 
in a sense, he was sent from heaven to earth to do what he did for us, to empower us, so that you and I could then be sent with orders from the command post, not our own idea, but what God would have us to do. So again, you have this idea of yielded, submitted fellowship, if you will, that allows us to live fully because we're not trying to to shape our own agenda, but we're just trying to be used of God in a powerful way to impact the world around us. So he's called to be an apostle and separated to the gospel of God, the good news of God, which is good tidings to all men, right? We celebrated Christmas not long ago. That's the gospel. It's good news every time. There's not one time where it's bad news. There's not one time where, well, you know, this isn't going to work out too good for you. It's just never that way. And the power of the gospel comes to bear, frankly, when we're walking out difficult situations. That's that's where the power of the gospel, you know, we start talking and as we move through this chapter, next week you'll see it talks about the power uh, of the resurrection, you know, and we, we think of power, we think of signs and wonders, blind eyes opening, deaf ears opening, you know, the dead raised to life and all of that stuff and that's wonderful. The Bible in fact says these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They'll do all these things and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover and all of that wonderful stuff. But I'm telling you, you want to really experience the power of God, then walk it out when things don't go your way. Because it's easy to jump and shout when you're seeing something happen that you think is powerful. But I'm telling you, the power of the gospel, the good news is he's there with you all the time. You know, and so whatever, the, whatever life throws your way, God's not upset. He's not tripping. It's not like, oh, man, I didn't see that coming. He's already prepared you to walk through it. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel silly when I get so uptight about the outcome of something only to see God work it all out, and then I feel silly ever worrying yeah. one bit. In fact, one, my pastor told me after 30 plus years of marriage one time not too long ago he said if i had it all to do over again i would worry less i think about ministry about about paying the the bills about having it all come together just worry less because god is with you and i think that's great advice and if you look up the word separated it means to set aside for a purpose and it's a different word than sanctified but it's akin to that word sanctified And so here we are, here's Paul, he's called to be sent, he's called to be separated for a purpose, he's given orders, he's a voluntary servant, if you will, still a son, still very much in touch with his sonship, but my sons voluntarily serve at my house. Yesterday I said, hey, don't forget what day it is, it's Saturday, dad, we got it, we're going to clean all the cars, going to vacuum them all out, and they do that voluntarily There's some blessing involved. There's some reciprocation. But still, they do it voluntarily. And they do it not because that'd be the first thing on their list to do, but it's because it's the first thing on my list. (laughs) So now let's talk about four things that grace does and only grace does. Again, this is just introduction. Next week, we'll we'll get into uh, a little bit more of the book that we're going to be studying here for probably most of this year. Four things that only grace can do. Number one, freedom 
from sin. Only grace can give us freedom from sin. Us managing sin, us trying to get better at not doing the wrong thing, that is not freedom, that's bondage. When we become so sin conscious, what happens is all we do is end up sinning because that's all we're thinking about. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the more, the, the more what you think about, it's amazing that all of us guys weren't women by the time we were 20, right? But, but the Bible says, but the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? So in Romans 6, 14, just to give you a little glimpse of what's coming here, in Romans 6, 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So Paul was, we see now, Paul was freed from being a slave to sin to volunteer himself as a bondservant. So only grace can free us from the bondage of sin, and we're only free because we're not under law. We're only free because we're not earning it ourselves. We're only free because we've received it as a gift. It's hard to do. Uh, So many of us are so much easier to give than to receive. We get so humbled when somebody gives us something. We get so humbled when somebody says, hey, you know, the Lord told me to give this to you or whatever. I remember when we were in Bible college, man, all that humility went out the window. Uh, People would walk up, hey, you know, God told me to give you 100 bucks. Well, praise the Lord. Hand it here, man. (laughs) It's time to eat. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's time to to, to pay a light bill. I mean, we we learn to be receivers in that time of life. And thank God we're we're giving uh, as much as we ever have now. But still, it's hard to receive. And I think that's what wars against the human mind is that that God is constantly having us receive what he's done. So freedom from sin, not bondage to sin, not managing sin, not trying to get better at doing less of the wrong stuff. That's not it. That's not what this is about. But it's being absolutely free from the bondage of sin. Now listen, you're still going to sin from time to time, but sin is not your master. It is not, you're not under bondage, you see. You're forgiven. And as a forgiven person, what you'll find, the more you focus on your righteous state in Christ, you'll gravitate away from the things that you're doing wrong. Why? Because your mind is fixed on righteousness, not on sin. So again, what you think about is where you'll gravitate to. Uh, Nobody ever did something egregious or just absolutely immoral without thinking long and hard about it, uh, without allowing it space in here. That's why if you'll, if you'll think about all the things God would have us to do to be where we need to be spiritually, it's all passive decisions. Yield, submit, renew mind, right? We're, not, we're, we're, we're transformed not by effort, but by the renewing of what we think about. So everything we're supposed to do is a passive thing that causes us to step into something that's not passive at all. Again, you will live a life that's anything but passive if you can do those things. To submit to, to, to what he's already said. To yield your life to the truth. And to renew our minds to the word of God. Man, that's a powerful thing. It's amazing, isn't it? Number two, the second thing that only grace can do is give you strength. To give us strength is the product of the finished work of Jesus. And that is all that does it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified or set apart for his purposes. 
So again, that's kind of a double whammy because not only does he strengthen us, that word build up, and in some areas they, they use the word edification, Paul does in the book of Corinthians, to be edified, which means to be built up on the inside. So the, 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 our Father God and the word of his grace is what builds us up. It's not our effort. It's not, it's, it's not a, like in the natural. It's a bit of a paradox because in the natural, if you want to get stronger, you've got to do something. But in the spiritual realm, if we're going to be stronger, we've got to recognize that he's already done something, right? And again, that will push you into doing things, but again, it'll be in the right order. It won't be because you think this is going to make you stronger. It'll be because you realize you are because the word of his grace is what gets you there and gives you an inheritance, so when you know you have an inheritance with those that, that are separated and sanctified, then what that does is give you confidence. Is that right? Yeah. It's hard to have confidence when you don't feel like, you know, you're gaining traction in life or getting anywhere in the natural. And that last segment on, uh, on, on Thursday about the financial stuff was powerful. And I'm, the, that, the whole video for Thursday is out in the, the Internet you know, the blogosphere somewhere, and we're trying to get our team, our support team on the live streaming to get that back down for us. Uh, but for some reason, we, we captured it all, but we can't access it. Uh, but some powerful, practical things. Like he said, the spiritual side of things lead us to some very practical things, but that's the order. It's not the practical things that make us more spiritual, but it's the spiritual things that will make us more practical. Number three out of four now. What, grace can only, what only grace can do is cause us to do good works. To cause us to do good works. Because make no mistake, we are going to do good works and we are doing those things. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, one of the most famous verses um, of the Word of God. In fact, the New Testament says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship... Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So notice that we are created in him. And God prepared us and the works beforehand. And guess what? All we have to do is walk in them. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, we have a grandson, and, and all he has to do is walk in Grandpa's house, and everything he needs is right there. His little basketball hoop, his footballs, his soccer ball, everything is right there. He didn't have to extend any effort or expend any effort to gather up the things he wants or needs. It's all been provided. So before the foundations of the world, God chose us to not just not only be in Christ by believing, but in that he created us in him, and then all the good works beforehand, and now all we do is walk in them. See, that takes all the pressure off us trying to make it happen. You know, again, I used to think that, that if things weren't going my way, I had to get, man, into a place of warfare. I had to rebuke the devil. I had to spit cotton for an hour and a half. Uh, you know, I had to get a hold of the horns of the altar, and I had to command, and I had to bind, and I had to loose, and I had to, all this stuff. And I, and if I didn't do that, because I'm telling you, I like to pray that way. But what I realize now is when I do that, I just get myself in line with what he already said and did. And that excites me, but I don't feel like 
if I'm not doing that, that it's not going to happen. See, the, the, the purpose for all of that, truly, and we've all seen, or at least we've perceived that that kind of stuff has worked in this Pentecostal charismania. We've perceived because things have changed. But really what happens when we do that is that our mind gets renewed to the promises. And so what we end up doing is just being able to have faith in what he said. And so however you need to get there, fine. However you need to get your mind fixed on the word, fine. But I'm telling you, don't be confused. If you don't do it just that same way every time, it doesn't mean that the word's not working. See, so this, now the, the warfare that I fight is not one of contending with the devil because he's already beat, you know. Uh, I won't say, you know, I was going to joke about the Raiders, but it's not funny because <laughs> when I thought about it, I said, no, that's, I don't like that analogy. Because uh, <laughs> he's just beat from the get-go, right? I mean, this, there's no surprise he's beaten. But a, a lot of people, if you talk to... to the spiritual crowd, man, we're going to contend with the devil and we're going to this and that, you know, and, and even Michael wouldn't, you know, he said the Lord rebuked thee and all of this stuff. I'm telling you what, uh, we can speak and rebuke the devil, yeah. but a lot of times what we end up doing is just making ourselves tired and confused. And all we really need to do is renew our mind to the truth of the word. What we need to do is renew our mind to the promise of forever. What we need to do is renew our mind to the goodness of God when we were not good and recognize that it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And so whether it's the devil causing your delay or God moving pieces on a chessboard, here's the key to living fullness of the gospel is to rest in him. Mm -hmm. To rest. doesn't mean passive. It means rest. Fourth and lastly, the only thing that grace can do or or something that only grace can do is produce labor for Christ labor watch this because again this is not passive by the grace of God 1 Corinthians 15 10 by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain for I labored more abundantly than they all yet not I but the grace somebody say the grace but the grace of God which was with me. The grace labored. Not you. Not Paul. Even though how many of you would, would agree, Paul probably outworked anybody we ever read about in the Scripture. He was all about the purpose of the kingdom, but yet he recognized that he was resting in all of that. That was actually a refreshing thing for him. When, when Agabus was prophesying with his girdle wrapped around his hands that the guy that goes to Jerusalem are, are, is going gonna, is gonna to be in bondage and taken to Rome and killed. And he said, listen, man, are you trying to break my heart here? Because I'm, I'm sad I'm not going to see your face again, but you need to know not only am I ready to go be arrested, but be killed for what this is all about. He was resting in the grace. He was resting in what God had put in front of him. And a lot of people would have thought, man, this is my way out. God's trying to tell me not to go, so I won't be hurt. And so I'm going to, you know, not only am I not going to go, I'm going to write a book uh, about how God loved me so much he told me not to go. And I'm going to get on Oprah maybe, and I'm going to make the circles on TBN, and everybody's going to think I'm wonderfully spiritual because I perceived that the Holy Ghost was telling me that if I go there, I'm going to be in danger, and so I shouldn't go. 
And apparently that's not what God wanted him to do because he was resting all the way to the gallows or wherever they cut his head off. He was resting. In fact, he wrote, uh, Romans is the sixth book that he wrote out of 13. So he wrote seven more after that, and most of them was written from prison. See, we have a tendency to look at the struggles in life as something that God abhors, uh, abhors, but it's not always the case. God wants you to flourish where you are. If you'll just go to work tomorrow and recognize I'm here for a purpose and I'm going to be the best employee here and I'm going to honor my, my employer and I'm going to honor my boss and I'm going to do what they ask me to do. And if they ask my opinion, I'll share it. But if they don't, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to take care of business. And I'm telling you what, you will find purpose in where you are and chances are you won't be there as long as you thought you were. But again, you've got to be able to rest where you are and flourish where you are. You know, it doesn't matter where you work or what kind of job you work. If you will just allow God to lead you into that place of purpose, then what you'll find is fulfillment beyond anything you might have imagined. So again, resting in grace is not passive. I want you to get that. A person who thinks it is has missed the point. It is learning to rest and be led by the Spirit and be directed by God's heart And then just flow freely in this relationship. That's what we see in Paul's life. So let me take you back to Romans 1.1, and we're going to finish here. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and separated to the gospel. Now, think of it this way. If we know God's no respecter of persons, then you are able to be a bondservant and still a son. You are able... To recognize that you've been called to be a sent one. We've over-spiritualized this idea of apostleship, but we're all here to be sent with orders, right? We all serve the same king. We all serve uh, the same God. And so what will happen is he'll ask you to do something. And the moment you go over here to the grocery store because he wants to connect you with somebody that's feeling like maybe they're not, their life isn't worth living, then you just became a sent one. Yeah, but I didn't know I was, you know, that's like the, the, the apostles and all of that. And, and that all left when they died. No, it didn't. In fact, I loved what Lawrence said the other day. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but the Christ never left the earth. Wow. Let me say that again. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but the Christ never left the earth. Because Christ is the anointed. We are the body not of Jesus, but we are the body of Christ. Well, Christ is the anointed one and implying his own anointing. So that means that you and I are here to break the yokes of bondage off of people. And primarily, based on Paul's writing, that is the yoke of the law and self-effort as a way to Christ, as a way to Jesus. Friend, you must divorce yourself from self-effort. It's a, it's a recipe for futility and frustration, and you're never going to get there, and all it will cause you to do is judge other people that you think are not as far along as you. And with grace, you just embrace the fact that God loves you in spite of you. He moves in your li- life because he decided to and not because you earned some threshold of, uh, of you know nirvana where now he's impressed with you. Even though he is, isn't he? I'm impressed with my grandson and he doesn't do anything but eat and poop and throw balls around my house. 
right? I was changing this diaper yesterday morning. I stopped over after my men's meeting. I went over to, to the house, and uh, Samuel, my son, was over there. So I'm changing his diaper. He had kind of leaked through, and, and Sam's like, Dad, you got pee all over your hands. That's gross. I said, who cares? It's his pee. I don't care. It doesn't bother me at least a bit. Now, if somebody else tried to pee on my hands, I'd be irritated by that. What I'm trying to tell you is the father sees you like that little baby that he just can't get enough of. So in that regard, he's highly impressed. And listen, you know, we think about, and I've been kind of flirting with this whole concept with you, and, and I'm still going to continue to flirt. I'm not ready to date yet. But, but how the biggest revelation for the church is what God's already done. And we read things in the, in the book of Revelation, and I was reading in, in chapter 21 and 22 last night, and it talks about the tree of life that's in the midst of, uh, of the new Jerusalem and how the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And it talks about in, in chapter 21, I think in verse 2, how, how um, you know, the new temple comes down and the new, the new heaven and the new earth and Jerusalem and all the spe- uh, specificities of the city and so forth. And it, and, it, and it says that it came like a bride adorned. And so think of this. Are we the bride of Christ or not? The, question, the answer is yes, we are. Already. So I started looking at that as something that's already been completed, at least in a very real, tangible, earthly sense. So then when I read over to the tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nation, what if we already have the ability? Because we do. See, we know that. See, if you read that, a lot of that's already reality. I mean, think of it. Jesus went into the tomb. And to us, it's just no big deal because he's God and he went into the tomb. But guess what? He had never died before. He had never taken on flesh before. And you know how he did all that? By faith. Because the Father said, this is how it's going to happen, and he believed it. What if we just started believing what he said was going to happen? What if we walking out as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, in the earth today, brought healing to the nation, because that's already in our realm of capability of being who he created us to be. The greatest revelation the church is ever going to have is what he's already done now, we're not going to sit back and watch all this happen so much, even though there's going to be things happen. But I think the big shock and, and awe for us is going to be, man, we were already that in Christ, you see. Man, that's a powerful thought. The healing of the nations is not something that's going to happen in the book of Revelation. It's not going to be happening like in Second Chronicles 7.14 because the church repents of her sin. See, the church has already repented and been forgiven forever and so now guess what god promised to do to hear our prayers and to save our land it's not something we have to do you know like my buddy sent me his his little curriculum and i'm reading it some of it's really good and then it's really confusing it's like we're saved by grace and then over here we've got to live a life of repentance well make up your mind Right? How many of you hate it when your kids apologize all the time? Hey, I need you to put the milk away. I'm sorry. Hey, I need you to park the car properly. I'm sorry. Hey, I need you to shovel the poop. Sorry about that. 
I don't want sorry. I just want you to do what you're supposed to do. Don't live a life of repentance with me. Just, just rest in the Father's love and do it. Always running around apologizing doesn't give us confidence. You are the children of God. And I think that if we begin to live this way, we're going to bring healing to the land. I believe that. Amen? Let's give the Lord a shout today.